Hi. <laughs> Good morning. As Teresa said, my name is Matt King. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, Kurt Bubna, our senior pastor, is preaching over at one today. So if you were here and you were expecting to hear Kurt, there's still probably time for you to get up and go. <laughs> They're just right down the road on 24th. They're one of the churches that we have partnered with and networked with in the past. And today he's speaking about his, his book, Epic Grace There. And I'm speaking about his book, Epic Grace Here Today. In fact, if you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series called Epic Grace based upon the book that Kurt's written. And I'm going to be talking today in a big picture way about how that epic grace has impacted me and how now I really do believe that what God wants me to do with my life and what he wants all of us to do with our lives who have been impacted by his epic grace, what we're supposed to do with that, how we're supposed to to give that away. So that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. For those of you who have read the book, you know in chapter 3, Kurt begins to describe what it was like for him when he turned away from God. He turned away from his wife. He really turned away from anything to have to do with God. That's also my story. That, that chapter means a lot to me. I myself was a person who had, who had turned away from God. And I became, I, I really was, I grew up an angry young man. And for me, fighting was something that I did a lot of, if, if not with words, with fists. And that just became a part of, of really the way that everybody knew me as I was an angry young man. What's weird about that is that I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church and, and had an understanding about God, had an understanding, I so, so I thought, about everything that was going on here in churchy world. And uh, all, all things really went well, but there were some problems that I had, particularly with God. And over the years, I had become very angry at God. In fact, in chapter 16 of Kurt's book, Epic Grace, he mentions his struggle dealing with God through the loss of children. His daughter, Jess, who attends here, had experienced some, some miscarriages, and then he had lost his grandson. I, I experienced that too. That's, again, that's a part of my story. You see, when I was young, around the age that my children are now, somewhere around seven and eight, I was different than a lot of seven and eight-year-olds. Um, I knew what it was that I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a dad. And so I went to a, a church rummage sale, and at that church rummage sale, I saw these, these knitted hair ribbons for a little girl, and I bought them when I was eight, knowing that one day I would be a dad, and I just was thinking ahead, and I thought, well, you know, she, these are cute, she might like them, and... I might as well get them now, and so I still have them. They're not that cute. <laughs> At the time, I thought so, but anyway, the, the point of it was is that I, I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a dad. So I get married, and, and that's my plan. I'm going to get mad, and through 13 years of uh, the first 13 years of my marriage, I lost five children due to miscarriage. We only had four pregnancies, and we lost all of them, and I, I hated God. I felt like he had put a desire in my heart to have children to be a dad and he kept taking it away and so I was willing to honestly I was willing to just flip God off give him the bird and say you want to send me to hell go for it I don't care I hate you I hate you that was me and everybody knew it everybody knew it anybody had anything to do with God I hated them too including my wife and I had no use for the church that was me but God never gave up on me and his epic grace for me and his epic love for me never ran out. 
I had heard that song. I never really understood it, and it had no meaning to me until one day on a plane, God had a, an unscheduled visit with me, and he showed up in the middle of my world, and he helped me to see something that I just refused to see. And it was this. I was scared. Like so many other people, man, we get scared when we start to realize that we're not in control and that something out there has control over whether or not I'm happy or not happy. And I began to distrust God because I believed that he could not be trusted with control over my life. And so I didn't want anybody else to have control. I needed to have control over my life because I was the only one that I could trust and not hurt me. But the stupid thing about all that is, is that when God showed up on that plane that day, he made me realize, dude, you're the one hurting you. You're the one hurting everybody else. Yes, you're hurting me, but why? Why? You tried to put me into a box of your design and making. You tried to fit me into what you think I'm supposed to be as God, and I love you too much to limit myself to your imagination. So I... I'm going to blow your world up, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to forgive you for being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to love you anyway. So if you want to continue on from this point on just hating me, go for it. But I'm going to love you, dude. And it just nuked me. And you know how it nuked me? It nuked me because there were so many people in my life who kept showing me the love of God even though I kept hating them. And it changed me. And folks, when God's epic grace shows up in the middle of the life and it really does hit you and you move from that moment of being a person who maybe understands some stuff to now having meaning with it, it just changes you. Amen? When you've been affected by God's epic grace, it changes you and it, it changed me. And my first response that day was, okay, man, what do you want me to do? You want me to do you, Anything? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll do it. You know, and everybody, you know, who gets to that moment's like, I'll even be a missionary. That was the, like the worst thing that I thought in my head, you know. Like, hey, you'll go and, you know, I'll do this, God. I'll, whatever it is you want me to do, just show me what you want me to do. And this is what he showed me. He wanted me to go back to church. He wanted me to find some spiritual guidance in my life. He wanted me to find what it is that he wanted me to do. And I think it's a natural response for any of us to ask, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I mean, I've been doing all this stuff all my life, thinking this was the right thing to do, and then, then I quit doing all that stuff because I really didn't have any meaning to me, so I quit doing all that, and then I decided to do whatever it is that I wanted to do, which is pretty much be a vile human being to everybody. But now you've got my attention, and, and you love me, and I want to oh, I, I love you. I, I really want to do this, guy. I want to love you. I don't really care about the other people, but I want to love you. So what do you want me to do? Go back to church. Okay, that sucks, but okay, I'll go. <laughs> I need to learn about you. And so I went back to church, and God started to change me and started to do this stuff in me. I think about the first eight weeks that I was back in church, I sat and I wept and I bawled because I felt like that stupid dude on the platform had just thought, how can I just slay Matt this week? And every week it was that way. I was telling somebody earlier, I would walk out and somebody would stick their hand out to greet me, and I'd be like, ah, whatever. God started changing me. He started doing all these things in my life, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. What God started to instruct me on so that I could become the kind of person who not just accepted God's epic grace and love in my life, but I would become the person who would start to extend that epic grace and that love toward other people. So 
that's what I want to talk about here today with you guys. I want to go through all of this stuff and, and talk about what this looks like. Now, this response of what do I do now is something that probably many of you have had too. It's, it's a good response. It's a natural response. We should have that when God invades our life and starts to mess with our heads a little bit. There should be a thought that kicks in sooner or later that says, okay, what is my response? What is my reaction now to this? Now, just so everybody here is clear, there's nothing that I could do, there's nothing that you could do that can earn God's forgiveness, that could earn salvation, that could earn the freedom of having sin wiped away. I couldn't do enough good things. You can't do enough good things. God says, if that's your attempt, that's <laughs> not going to work. It's not going to work. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to do something or you to do something. And I think this verse explains it the best. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 8 and go through 10. And it will be up on the, the screen if you want to read it with me. It, it says this. God saved you by his grace. You can throw in there epic grace if you want to. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, you can't do enough to get saved, but when God saves you, he creates you anew so that you will do good things that he planned rather than the good things that you planned. God has plans for us. There's something that he wants us to do in response to this epic grace that he has given to us. And I, I grew up in the church, so I had a little bit of an idea about what that was that God wanted me to do. He wanted me to be, if I could describe it in the way that Kurt put it in his book, he wanted me to be the trophy of God's grace. In other words, you know what a trophy is? It's something you put up on the platform or on your mantle or on your office or something like that. And it tells everybody about how awesome you are. <laughs> well, God wanted me to be that trophy to put up on the mantle or out in life so other people would look at me and go, hey, how awesome God is. Not how awesome I am, not about talking about all the crazy and cool things that I've done, but what it is that God's done in me. And when somebody can see the before and the after, it helps to make sense. But many of you have never seen the before. You've just seen the after, which has been bad enough in itself for some, but <laughs> you should have seen the before. But God wants this for me, and I, I knew that he wanted me to be this trophy of his grace and the way that I would express that grace and that love toward other people. I, could, I got that. I understood that. I understood what that meant, that when I would show grace and love toward other people, that I was satisfying the greatest command that there ever is, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I get that. But to be, again, very, very truthful with you, growing up in the church still hadn't given me a frame of reference with which to be able to understand it and understand the meaning of it and then explain it to other people. So as I started to go back to church, as I started to get involved, over the years I started to realize, oh, there's some stuff that God wants me to do, and this, this is what? This is, this is the how. And so I want to explain to you guys today and whoever's watching online, I want to explain to you some things that God taught to me. And hopefully if these things make sense in the way that I explain it, then it will, in a roundabout way, be God maybe teaching you some of the same things. And you can benefit from, out, from, uh, from just this maybe half an hour here or 20 minutes here rather than all the years that it took me to kind of wrap my mind around this because, one, I needed it simple. I, I pray to God all the time, God, make it simple. I'm not a brilliant man. And quite honestly, I I don't know a ton of brilliant people. Most of the people that I hang with are people who are about like me. You know, we, 
we get some stuff, but there are other things that we just need it to be a little bit more bite-sized. And so that's what I asked God to do for me, and so that's what I hope today this is for you. I want to explain how God has asked me and what I believe he has asked you to do in expressions of love and grace toward others in three ways. The first way is this. God wants us to express love and grace toward others relationally. Relationally. If you're a note taker, go ahead, write that down. Relationally. God wants you and I to express love toward others relationally. And the way that we interact with them, let me give you some examples of this. Paul the Apostle, if you're not familiar with Paul, you're new to the whole church thing, Paul was a guy that God had entrusted an awful lot of, of authority to and power to. He wrote a lot of the New Testament letters to the churches. Well, Paul wrote one of his letters to the church in Ephesus, uh, Ephesus or the Ephesians, this. Quote, I beg you to lead a life, or live your life, worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And he goes on to give them some examples. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Be relational. Again, he wrote this to the church in Colossae. It won't be up on the screen, but it says basically the same thing. Let me read it to you. Since God chose you, us, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with, and there it goes, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Is there anybody else who looks at the description of all of those things and thinks, oh, crap. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I did. I mean, how can you humble, gentle, kind, tender-hearted mercy? I mean, honestly, a lot of these things were things to me that just, just meant pansy, just meant wuss, soft, milk toast, always roll over and let somebody just beat you. That's what I thought in my mind, but God was like, no, 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 no. Here's, here's real strength and character and your expression of love is when you find somebody that's difficult to be around just like you were. And when you remember all of the grace that I have shown toward you, all the patience I have shown toward you, all the tender-hearted mercies, when I, when I could have done to you things and punished you for things, but I didn't. I let you wallow in your own stupidity, Matt, and I was patient with you. And now I want you to be patient with that person who's the idiot and just love them and show them by my love for you and now your love for me as expressed to them in love that I exist, that I'm real. And instead of giving them what they deserve, which might be a punch in the teeth, you give them a hug and you tell them, you know what, I understand what it's like. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Being relational with them. Being kind. These are the things that God was asking me to do. That was the first thing that he taught me. And quite honestly, it's the first thing that any of us should learn. Because if we aren't going to be relationally loving like that toward people, whether it's here in the church, which you should obviously see lots of expressions of that, but also here when we leave in our personal lives, in our homes, in the workplace, if people don't see us as being relationally loving, quite honestly, they're never going to care whether or not we will show them love in any other way. Because if we can't do that, we've never earned the right to move beyond that and show them love in any other way. Relationally. We are supposed to be the most loving people on the face of the earth. Christians, we are. 
we're supposed to be. And I, I get that now. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be relationally loving toward people. That was the first thing that God started teaching me. And that was hard. Still is hard to this day. I'm, I'm working on it. The next thing that God started to teach me was that he wanted me to move beyond just this relational investment of love and, uh, uh, onto other people. He, he wanted me to move beyond that into what I would call expressing love in a functional way. If you're a note taker, again, there's relationally expressing expressions of love and grace and functional expressions of love, being functionally invested into somebody else. What, what do I mean by that? There's, there's a lot of examples that I, I could point out for me personally, but I want to point out one that Jesus did. See, Jesus was teacher, he was Lord, he was master, all of the disciples, uh, disciples understood that. Jesus was certainly a relational guy, hanging out with people. It says that sinners love to hang out with Jesus. If you didn't know that, it's true. Uh, they, they thought hanging out with Jesus was fun. There's no way that a person who is not a follower of God hangs out with a person who is a follower of God without that person who's being a follower of God being uber extremely relational. Can I get an amen? So if you're one of those people who happens to be able to have the ability to be able to hang out with some of the worst sinners and scumbags on the face of the earth, God bless you. Because you are a person that God has tooled up to be relationally capable of loving. And I believe that's what God wants to do with me and with you and everybody. But he also wants that to be something that moves beyond that and you begin to functionally invest in their life. And Jesus did that with the worst of sinners and he did that with those who so-called followed God as well. For instance, his disciples. One of the best examples of that was when he washes their feet. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. This is right at the end of that story. This is what it says. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He intentionally taught these guys, guys, of course I want you to be relationally loving, tender, clothed in patience and mercy and nice. I want you to be nice to people, but I want you to move beyond nice. And when you see a need, I want you to meet a need. When you can function in that person's life to do something that they can't do on their own, you are expressing love to them. Simple ways, fixing a flat tire on the side of the road for somebody. That's an expression of functional love toward them. You may not even have to know them. What about at home? Getting involved in helping the dishes, getting involved in cleaning up things. What about at work? Being involved in doing your work well, doing the way that the work was supposed to be done. These are functional expressions of love, seeing needs, meeting needs. Many of you do that here. Ushers, greeters, working on tech team, working on the WPA, worship and performing arts, children's ministry, epic. Are you, there are so many of you who have seen needs and you're getting involved and you're meeting those needs in a functional way, beginning to get involved in helping somebody by investing grace and love into them beyond just relationally. That's something that God wants. In fact, this is so important to God, I don't have time to go through the full explanation of it, but that we are told multiple times throughout the Bible that when a person comes to Jesus Christ and says, I surrender my life over to you, that when the Holy Spirit not only comes into our life to mark and seal and identify us, it also says that he gives to us a spiritual gift or a function of where we now begin to operate within the body doing our part as designed by God. Some of us are pastors, some of us are teachers, some of us have the gift of administration, some have the gift of creativity. What is your gift? I don't know. We have classes that we've written. We've got books that we've written. There have been other people who have done the same thing, all geared up to try to help a person who was a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, being guided by the Holy Spirit to find their 
function. It's so important to God that you and I understand this. He doesn't just want us to be relationally givers of grace and love, but he's designed us to be functional givers of grace and love. That's our job. It's our job. God started to teach me in that. He wanted me to understand, dude, I want you to do this. I want you to be a part of this. I need you to get involved in expressing the epic grace and love that I have shown toward you, and I want you to do this toward others in this way, proving that I'm real to them by the way you relationally invest grace and love into them and functionally invest grace and love into them. And that's what he wanted me to do, and that's what he asked me to do. And as his heart, as my heart started to become changed, to be more like his, I found those things uh, a little bit easier, the disciplines that I started to implement in my life got a little bit easier and easier and easier, and I started to understand that there was great value in doing this, that it really changed the way that I viewed things. But God wasn't done there. The third thing that God wanted me to do was to express my love, express my grace toward other people, not just in a relational way, not just in a functional way, but in a financial way. He wanted me to get involved with that, that one component of my life that was still very hard to let kind of the control over to somebody else. You know, it's hard. It's hard for all of us. I don't care who you are, it's hard. God wanted me to do that. I was sitting in a sermon, and I remember the preacher saying this. I'll read it to you. I got it up on the screen too. You can tell what is important to a person by what they say, where they spend their time, and where they spend their money. It got me thinking. The money I was making in that time was, you know, it was hard-earned money. All of us, you know, probably work, and if you don't have a job, I know you probably want one, but we, hard-earned money. I mean, money's hard to come by for, I think, most of us. And so I was really questioning, God, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, really, what do you, honestly, what does your word say? I don't want to, I don't want to get steered wrong here, God. What do you want me to do with this, this, these resources that you provided to me? So I started digging and listening, and here was one of the first things that I came up with, and I, I want you all to hear me. Taking care of your family is huge to God. You need to know that. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, and those who won't care for their relatives, especially those who live in their own household, have denied the true faith, and that such people, such people are worse than unbelievers, as if they don't even know Jesus at all, don't even know God at all. So in other words, if, if you're earning some hard-earned money and you don't take care of your own family, and it's, it's getting wasted on other things, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. That's something that needs to get corrected in your life. But that wasn't my issue. I was doing that. And I felt, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of my family. I've got a little bit of money in savings. And, you know, I'm taking, you know, I, I, I felt like I'm doing the right thing. And I felt pretty good about that. But then I came across this verse one day. And it wasn't in a sermon. It was just in my own personal time. It's 1 John 3, 16 and 17. And I want to read a part of it for you. And then there's this part that I want to highlight says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we know what it is. We also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Quote, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister, obviously somebody in the church in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And I remember when I read that, I was like, wait a second, I got God's love. I, I got God's love in me and I've got I got enough means to live well. What should I be doing with this? And so it moved beyond just my family to where I felt like God was saying to me, Matt, there are people, brothers and sisters, there are some that you know in the church. You know where the needs are, but you aren't giving to help meet those needs. 
You've relationally invested into those people, and functionally, you've showed up and helped them move, do whatever. But Matt, you've got enough money to be able to live well, and I want you to express your love financially to other people with the way that you give. And I was like, fine, I'll do this. I had no problem with that, guys. I really didn't. I felt like it was the right thing to do. And then something really changed for me. It was, uh, I, I won't give you the full story on it, but I, I was showing up at church one time, and I, my eyes kind of seemed to be opened up. <laughs> and I, I, let me tell you the truth, I, I felt sorry for those poor suckers who were on staff at church. There were so many people there who had needs. They were coming in all the time. It wasn't just on Sundays. It was during the week. They had needs of a variety of different things. People would come in, and yes, they needed help for rent, and they needed help for food, but some of them were broken people who needed guidance and help, counseling, just spiritual guidance and counseling, how to think, how to deal with these broken and fractured relationships. Some of them were truly mentally damaged and hurt because of this, and they needed to unwind in a process of counseling. That took time, and the church... People expected the church to be able to do this. They expected that somehow, some way, they were going to come in needing help. They were wanting hope. They wanted healing. And the place that it all started was the church. And I remember walking in and, and seeing all this and thinking, these poor, these poor staff people, I can't help the fact that they're so dumb that they decided to quit their jobs and go and be a part of a church. But what I can do is I can help them by financially contributing to them maybe making their life a little bit easier. And so I did, and here was the reason why. It was in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. It says this, Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. And folks, I was benefiting from it hugely. God had used the church to radically change my life. He deposited me in the middle of the church when I was a child, but I didn't get it, but the seeds were planted. And then later on in life, when he brought me back to the church, he opened up my heart and he started to make me realize that there was no way, there was no way that I could possibly make it without the church. And why would I ever think that as a Christian? How dumb of me to think that the very thing that Jesus was willing to give up his life for, the church, that he would ever ask me to not be involved in it? He did. And I was benefiting from it greatly, and so I gave, and I started giving. Now, the only thing that's different now to then was that God asked me to quit my job and become a part of those same suckers, those poor saps who decided to <laughs> commit their lives to the church. And I have never regretted that. Okay, yes, I have many times. <laughs> I have. But those were moments of weakness. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. It's the happiest and it's the most fulfilling job I've ever had. So here's what I want you to do. Here's where all this leads to. I want you guys to commit during this holiday season to give grace, epic grace, and love everywhere you're at. I want you to give it in your personal lives and I want you to give it here at church. And I've given you three ways or three ideas of how you could do that in a relational, in a functional, and a financial way. Let me make it even more clear. I want you to commit to giving a gift of love the way God would ask you to do it this year in your personal lives and at church in a relational way. In a relational way, be tender, be humble, be gentle, be kind to those that you have to connect with this holiday season on Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's. 
Be relationally loving toward them, just the way God was with you. Be that way toward them, and be that way here at church. I want you to relationally commit. For the Sundays closing out the rest of this year, would you please commit to trying to show up every week that you can? And when you show up, would you please pray for the people that walk through those doors? Did you know that just simply giving a smile, maybe not that smile, but something like it, you know, that's nice, that, that's, just give us hope to somebody, would you commit to just showing up? Would you just commit when you're here? Would you, even if it means that you've got to work yourself into this idea and thought that shouldn't this be the place that when people show up, that they really do see the people who are the most excited on the face of the earth about what it is that we have been given in epic grace? Sometimes it just blows me away when people walk into a church and it's dead and it's filled with people who seem to be more caught up in their own troubles and issues rather than thinking beyond that to the goodness and glory of God that's already taken care of all those issues. And now what we've got is the hope of an eternal home and life and family. And he's working all the crap out that we can't figure out. And man, am I glad he's done that. And if for only that reason, when I show up here, I want people to know I'm happy about the choice that I made to accept the grace and gift of God, period. I'm taking that that you agree and that you're committing to relationally being here for the rest of this season, this year, and that you're going to do the same thing. Give that. Secondly, I ask that you give love and grace functionally. Find a place to serve. Find your gift, your function. Do that this holiday season. Show up, be there, serve, clean up. Figure out ways to be able to help people. Show them with your expression of love functionally that you do care. And do that here too. There's so many things. Some of the opportunities for you to serve this church could mean you working from home. We have things that could be done from home, but we need help, lots of help. Great opportunities for you to get involved and functionally begin to serve. And then financially, commit to giving. Giving above and beyond your regular. If you're not giving regularly, commit to giving regularly. Anything will help. Anything will do. But above and beyond that, I want to ask you to give to what we're calling the gift. The gift. During the month of December, each week, we're going to have a little card available for you. We're going to ask you to give above and beyond to something called the gift. It's a two-part thing. We realize as a church that we can't begin to strategically target our community and the way that we see is the best possible way to do it without some help. And there are some organizations that exist within our community that are tailored just right to be able to help some of the biggest needs. Life Services is one of those organizations. It's more than just a teen crisis pregnancy center. It's a place that helps all kinds of people draw closer to Jesus Christ. And folks, I can't go into all of it, but we will over the coming weeks explain to you exactly why we love being in a partnership with Life Services. But we're asking everybody to give above and beyond, and 50% of everything that is designated as the gift is going to go to Life Services. The other 50%, we want to use to bless you, and here's why. When we moved into this auditorium, when we renovated the dollar store, we used the exact amount of money that we had to be able to use, and then we stopped. We don't go into debt. But as a direct result, there were a lot of things that are left unfinished in this auditorium. One of the things that's left unfinished in this auditorium is we need to improve some of our audio system. Some of you have talked about how loud it can be, and some of you have said how quiet it is. Sometimes you can't hear. Well, we, we need some help. We'd like to be able to spend some money on stuff like that, but we don't have it. The other thing that's a big deal to me, I hope, I, I hope it's a big deal to you, in that little breeze, breezeway area out there, there used to be a set of double doors inside. They're now gone. We need to put them back. I want the living room in this place to feel more like a living room instead of a front porch. It gets cold out there. So we'd like some more doors. So if you would help, we, 
we don't have the money to do that. But we, we don't have enough money to pay staff and do this other stuff. And so we need help. I'm going to ask you to do that. Now, when you do that, when it works, this is what it looks like. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to close. I love this story. There was this gal. I'm not going to tell you her name. But years ago, she showed up at church. And she's one of those high-needs, single mom gals. Okay? Her husband had been killed in front of her, tragically. So she's a widow now dealing with the trauma of that. She's been with other guys since then, but all they've ever done is add to her burdens and her chaos and added more kids. So by the time she shows up, she's got kids in tow, all kinds of life habits that her and her kids have picked up along the way, if you're reading what I'm saying. It makes it kind of hard to deal with them sometimes. And they're showing up at church, and week after week after week, what do we do? We hug her. We draw her kids into relationships with us and our children's ministry. Hey, how you doing? And they get safe. And they feel comfortable, and they're coming back all the time, and they're excited. And we invest into her relationally, and we're humble, and we're gentle, and we're doing everything we can to continue. And that goes on week after week after week, and it turns into months. And she begins to get more involved, and we start investing into her more than just relationally. We start investing into her functionally. We help her find a job. We start watching her kids. We go over to her house and fix some broken pipes and fix this and do that and get her car working again. And we continue to, whenever we can, to functionally invest into her. And at times, we are financially investing into her. We're spending money on her because there are people who have already seen the blessing of God's epic grace in their life, and now what they're doing is they're contributing it back into the church so we can continue to reach others and show them epic grace. And all these people are giving, and so as a direct result, we're able to help pay some rent from time to time and help get some gas in the car and put some food on their table, buy their kids some, some Christmas presents around Christmas. And we continue to do that. And over the years, I watched as this gal began to change. And instead of coming to church to just take, instead of coming to church to see what she could get, after a while she started to realize, hey, I got something to give. And I would watch as people would come in through the doors and they would make their way into different parts of the church, and she would seem to have this radar. She became our, what we call a pool shark. She would literally go into places where there would be somebody standing by themselves, and she'd walk up to them and be like, hi. And she'd just sit and talk with them. She seemed to have a nose for those who felt alone. And she began to use this gift that God was giving to her to just break down their walls and help them to feel like they weren't just walking into this cavernous place filled with people that they don't know, filled with fear. Would anybody even pay attention to them? But this gal was there all the time. I watched as her kids started to grow up and get involved. I watched as she got baptized and her kids got baptized. And then one day, <laughs> this is the only wedding I ever did where myself as the pastor, I lost it and made it weird. I did. She was walking up the aisle. Her fiancé is standing there beside me. And the clarity of it all hit me that this gal was the perfect example of what epic grace played out on a person's life can do to them. It had transformed her from being the highest need person, one of the highest need pe people I've ever met, into a person who was capable of giving epic grace and love. And to this day, her and her husband financially support the church in a work and in a way that is a blessing to everybody around them. I want to invite you to do the same thing. I want you to be the kind of people who, because of God's epic grace in your life, you are giving it away in a relational, a functional, and a financial way. Will you do that with me? I beg of you, will you do that? There's a world out there that needs it. Our world right here. And we're the best ones to do it. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you 
that I get a chance to be able to be with them and watch what it is that you're going to do, not only through me, but through them. For us in this church, for us in this community, and even for us in this world. God, I pray that you would do that. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I need God's epic grace. I, I have blown it, dude. I've been like you and I still am and I don't know what to do, but I know that I need a change in my life. I want that kind of change in my life. If that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a simple prayer for you right now. You can take the words and say them exactly to, your, to God in your heart. You can change the words if you want to. It's not important about the words. What's important is what's going on inside of your soul, inside of your heart. But here's some words as a model. God, I give up. I surrender. I know that I've been the one controlling this life, and I, I don't want to do it anymore. I want you to control my life. I believe in you. I don't know why I don't have all the information or all the knowledge. I just know that I, I need to believe in you, and so I trust that right now you're real, and I give you my life. Whatever it is that you do, if you fill me with you, fill me with you, but change me. I want to live for you, God. I want to live for you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Turn me into something better than what I am now for your glory and for your purpose. And if that's your prayer and you just made that, maybe even right now you feel what it's like. You sense what it's like as the Holy Spirit is moving into your life and your soul. Father, would you please, would you please do this? You're the only one who can. Would you please change us? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing through this last song. I want this to be a song of celebration and prayer. If you're not comfortable with singing and you're at this place in time in your life right now where you want to stand and just kind of take it in a little bit more, then feel free to do so. But join us by at least standing and listening to what it is that the rest of us are singing. Afterwards, I'll come back up and dismiss us. Guys, thanks for being here today. Hey, before you leave, real quick, two things. If you'd like to take communion today, we've got that available on the outside of the, the walls here. You can do that here outside of the room here. You can do that. If you want prayer, make sure that you make your way forward instead of making your way back. And if today you made that prayer and uh, you've stepped into being a part of this family of, of God. Take one of these, take it home. We've got a book in there we'd like to be able to get you started with, and then come and talk to me, one of the other pastors who we'd love to be able to connect some dots for you. God bless you guys. Thanks. Give, uh, give love and grace this season. We'll talk to you next week.